happening with Classic Climate Future and Circularize, another episode from our series that we're doing together with MESPA on sustainable materials. And uh, hello MESPA, nice to see you again. Hi Matt, glad, glad to be here again, looking forward to today's episode. Um, yeah, you can definitely because we have uh, another super interesting guest tonight with us and it's uh, Verena. Verena from the company UVEX and uh, we're super happy to have you here. Hello Verena. Hi Matt, hi Mespa, thanks for having me. I'm very much looking forward to our podcast tonight. <laughs> Great. Um, so, Verena, maybe you've heard already some of our podcasts, but you, you, of course you should say yes now, yes. right? But, <laughs> but if not, if not, it doesn't matter. Um, but we always start because I think the, the most inspiring thing about innovation is always the personal journey of the people of these innovators behind those innovations and um yeah first maybe tell us what is your function and and uh what are you doing at uvex and then i would be happy to get to know some personal stuff personal stuff right so let's start with you feel more if you feel more yes so my role at UVEX UVEX safety actually so um, mm-hmm. UVEX has I think we might come to that later but UVEX is practically split into UVEX sports which most of you might know uh, the consumer brand and the B2B brand UVEX safety which um, offers PPE pro- uh, products which means personal protective equipment from head to toe practically and my role is um, I'm head of strategic sustainability development um, and uh, that is again in the department of strategic innovation solutions so I'm practically kind of trying to orchestrate trying to um, organize different aspects of sustainability when it comes to supporting our product teams um, supporting our marketing and also supporting our sales we get a lot of questions recently from our customers around sustainability and around circularity of course yeah Cool. And uh, what is your background then? Are you then a material person? Are you a strategy person or both mm. or maybe business? I maybe, I don't really know what I am. So I just kind of cover a little bit of here and there. And I don't have this classic CV, CV assumingly. So I've studied English and economics. So rather abroad range and background, so no techie background. And um, then I worked uh, in the textile industry for more than 10 years. Textile industry actually selling natural fibers, selling merino yarns um, mm-hmm. for a global active company. And within that role, I was um, yeah in touch with lots of um, sports and outdoor brands because that was the segment I was specializing in, together with those brands in Australia, New Zealand, but also Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I was building up actually programs. I was building up supply chains, supporting them, consulting them. And um, yeah, in the course of that, I 
actually came to the aspects of sustainability more and more because first of all it's been a natural material so it was quite natural again to yeah to to tell the sustainable story around it that was one thing but on the other hand also the aspect of transparent supply chains across the whole textile manufacturing process textile manufacturing process are rather complex you know and I have a lot of steps involved and um this is like the kind of, yeah, this is how I came to sustainability and then further developing towards the plastics um, industry, towards more plastic material um, within my role um, at Ubex. Yes. And um, because I know Ubex mainly from sports, because I'm a, I'm a sports guy, but um, you just mentioned uh, that this is just one division. So the the part where you are active in like people's protection i know i know you've actually from the protective shoes that we had to wear in some of the companies of course yes. right? <laughs> that no one no one always no one likes to wear but <laughs> um especially those who have to work in the lab like yeah. at universities um, but that's that's kind of like the bigger business right of, of yeah uh, definitely so that's we're, we're super happy for our uh, sports colleagues because they support us a lot with the brand mm-hmm. awareness so the, uh, the brand is pretty well known um, yeah. and they do around the sports part is around 25% of our business and um, safety the PPE part is mm-hmm. um, around around 75%. So that's really the largest part. And it's also a global business. So we're covering practically like any type of uh, like different markets around the world. And uh, yes, my colleagues from the footwear department drive very, very hard. And I think they've done an amazing job to make the shoes, meanwhile, not only look good, but also being super comfortable. So maybe you should try some new. <laughs> then I will have to work. The, the time you were still wearing those mats was a long, long time ago. I think they're the innovations are way ahead now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very comfortable now. <laughs> thanks, thanks. This was a nice way to say that I look old. <laughs> well, if you want to see how Matt looks like, you should watch the podcast and not listen to it in YouTube. <laughs> Now, but Farina, that, that 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 that's quite interesting because I'm I'm very interested from your perspective in um, obviously the personal journey. How do you get to this point? How do you you know be, be you know the, the, do, do the job that you're doing right now? Um, how how did your career kind of end end to this? Uh, did you already foresee this early on? Was it planned or did you kind of stumble upon it? I know a lot of people in sustainability space they kind of stumble upon it. It kind of happens or or they they have this gut feeling but they don't really know how to plan for it because. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we had no idea where, where we are right now with, with, the, with the world. So, yeah, how, how did you get here? Yeah, so um, I fully agree because I always tend to tell like students, today students, that when I graduated from university in 2010, the role that I have now, the job that I'm doing now, didn't even exist. So nobody could ever think like, what would you do? And I need to say that I mentioned it in the intro, I was always like kind of a more global person. I'm interested in kind of a lot of different things and this was not a classic career path back then Um, so you just had to or it was expected to commit to a certain subject and then follow this path and um, this is what what's happening now I think in industry with respect to sustainability a lot all of a sudden you need people who just have a global perspective on many many different topics without 
getting too much in detail because for getting too in detail, you have all the experts established already. So it needs more like a kind of coordination project management person. And um, yeah, I, I always tend to use this, this um this term orchestrating because it really means like we have all the expert people and specialists available and now it's just about a, a combined or yeah, joint transformation um, of, of driving this aspect and um, for your question about uh, if I planned this nope not at all I had no clue about this topic coming up and it's um, it's not that I was like 10 years ago I said I need to follow a classic sustainability policy I was more into sales and marketing, always this kind of things with communication and maybe also explaining, yeah, working with people, of course, and and getting things moving. And I think that's these these skills are quite useful now also in this role to really yeah look at, at the sustainability transformation from a project management point of view. Uh, was there something in your career that triggered your move towards sustainability? Do you, do you remember when it happened and why it happened? Yeah, um, it was actually quite a it's 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 a person it was a personal experience because on the one hand I was working with all these fantastic outdoor brands who took a very very serious job in making um, really social socially and ecologically um, high standards for their products so that. If you buy this brand, I mean, of course, there's always things to improve and so on. But uh, if you buy this brand, or many brands actually, then you can have a real good feeling because you know they've done a perfect job. So this was what I was experienced. So I was actually experiencing a pro side uh, from the inside perspective in the industry. And on the other hand, I was talking with friends some like, I don't know, Saturday night and uh, being out for some glasses of wine. And they were like, oh yes, I would, I, I would be willing to pay extra. I would be willing to pay a premium for like um, sustainable pr uh, clothing or sports gear but I can't trust on that I don't know what the um, certificates tell me I don't know what the labels tell me it's so hard to judge and this was for me like a key point or a key turning point probably in my career when I also had the opportunity in my previous company in textile company to start a project where we've uh, created a platform that had the mission to say okay let's make sustainability um, experienceable and uh, we just put different suppliers on the on the platform it was a digital platform that then generated a QR code could be used on the clove and this QR code was quite easy to access so that was important for us to make it as easy as possible for for customers for consumers uh, to access the story behind the garment to see like the different steps included and at one glance see the social standards and ecological standards and um, this was really when I came to sustainability the project was later then turned into a startup called Know Your Stuff <coughs> excuse me and um, this was really the, the, the key point for me when I also then came across this opportunity at UVIC Safety which was uh, at first titled as Business Development Sustainability where I really saw the mission to combine the um, yeah sometimes dry factual aspects of sustainability with the business opportunity with the business perspective and the communicative part 
Yeah, what a cool story. And now, you know, having an expert in transparency also with us, Mespa. <laughs> um, I think this this resonates well um, also with, with what's happening, I think, in the industry. I mean, also the the necessity for for this trust, not only because, you know, it makes you feel good, but I think because if you want to drive these collaborations where you can close the loop between different parts of the value chain, you know, it's also about transfer, transmitting um, the right type of information so that there new collaborations will exist, right? Um, or, or will come into being and, 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 and yeah, contribute to, to closing the loop. What, what I'm interested in now is because, as you said, like you're coming actually from this completely different background and you did some, uh, some uh, um, material-focused uh, business development in the textile company with the Merino wool. And how much, how much material topics do you <laughs> deal with today on a, on a kind of daily basis? Is it still more like, you know, orchestrating, as you just said, or is it also already, you know, you had to learn a lot about plastics or, or new materials and then also the impact of materials on the entire value chain of products. Yeah. So naturally, I mean, still, I'm not a plastics expert, but of course, when you just um, deal with those products on a daily basis... And also, I'm working on concepts how we can establish a circularity um, or like trying recycling opportunities and so on. So um, this this is like kind of part of my job. All the same, I'm like as I mentioned, I'm part of the strategic innovation solution team, and we do have like chemists in our team. We do have um, like material managers in our team. There is a lot of in-depth expertise, but um, what I've maybe to, to name a concrete project is what I've been um, <coughs> excuse me what I've been doing together with uh, with a colleague of mine is that uh, project so called bio-based materials where we are now exploring uh, different options of uh, yeah, using bio-based um, ingredients for turning them into plastics and or also using bio-based materials, namely natural materials, because at Ubix we don't just process fibers, um, sorry, we don't just process plastics, but we also process textiles, actually. We also have, um, we have some uh, SPUs, strategic business units, what we call them. Um, one is textiles per se, like the workwear itself, but also gloves and footwear where textiles are processed. So yes, um, I'm, I'm having an overview of the different plastics and the different fibers and the different options. And then again, there's the expert teams that are then available and supporting here, of course. When you were saying before that you have this, uh, this, this personal journey where, where some of your, you know, your friends maybe or, or, or colleagues and, and family were, were, were talking about the fact that they wanted to pay for sustainability, but they couldn't really, uh, you know, trust or understand really what was happening around all these complex or dry terminology. Uh, do you think you have solved that realm? Do you think uh, there 
are solutions that that solve that particular problem? And if so, could you name a few? Uh, because to me, that's very fascinating. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, in my mind, it's not solved. Like, how do you how do you get that co- complex message to to the consumer yes. in a way that they understand? Um, I, I fully agree. It's not yet solved. And um, I sometimes find it's getting even harder because um, the markets are getting more complex. And, uh, you know, we it started with food and then you had some one or two labels that gave quite good guidance and it became more and more complex. The same for yeah all the apparel sector, the same for all the plastic sectors, packaging, um, traveling, you name it. And um I think there are two big challenges. The one, first of all, is not to overload people because um, it's it's impossible. And I'm including myself when I'm in a, um, in a consumer position. I can't um, yeah, investigate in depth uh, for every type of product that I'm sourcing. So I need to kind of have some reliance saying, okay, I, I know my certificates. That's good. That's bad. And sometimes it's also ease of mind because I need to do some grocery shopping and I need to finish because I'm running out of time, whatever. So uh, that's a huge challenge and we need to be, uh, I think all of us need to be kind of careful, yes, not to be too moral or not to be too prescriptive for consumers and making them like feeling bad whenever they do this or that. So that's the one point. And then the second point is that um, it takes a lot of education and it needs like the whole communication of sustainability needs to be based more, according to my opinion, on facts and figures. Like there's so much gut feeling and there's so much like, hey, if you use a recycled bag, then um, I can take the long haul flight, whatever um, that's paying off and things like that. And um, I think it's our it's our responsibility as industries to provide like, for example, a CO2 product footprint, um, like we need to establish currencies for sustainability that consumers and customers can compare it, can can rate it, and can then judge it. That's an interesting one, and uh, I will challenge you on this one. Um, <laughs> uh, because, you know, telling someone how much CO2 equivalent is, you know, a product emitting or you know responsible for in production do you think that's uh, that's enough or do you think it has to be also connected not only to um yeah not only to the to the description of a product but also to some education in terms of how to use it how to recycle it because mm-hmm. Like what I'm trying to say is, um, if you look at the different food packaging that we get in the kitchen, and I think there is still so much confusion of which part of the packaging has to be separated and which part of the packaging has to be go to, you know, which bin is it now real paper? Is it as a paper towel goes to the paper bin or not? I think, I mean, of course, people who are in the field, they, they are much more aware of this, but I think even if it says like, yeah, it's recycled, there's still so much, such a big educational gap in terms of in, in the use phase on, on how to how to close these loops. Do you think this is also part of the challenge um, of, uh, you know, driving the sustainability? I guess you know the answer. 
yes, absolutely. And um, maybe also to, to share some insights here at UBEX, um, the CO2 product footprint, we have been establishing that for our products. Um, exactly to get away from this yeah this is like um, a green product because it has some recycled content. Yeah, Please yeah, make it. Okay. we want to make it yeah provable we want to make it measurable and comparable however this is just a start and that's why we are now strategically looking into uh, the aspect of circularity um, also from a strategic uh, perspective we have identified four so-called focus fields one of them is innovation driver circularity and here we clearly try to address the uh, circular aspects from a very holistic point of view because what I experience is that sometimes you talk about circularity and people go like oh yeah recycling great tech done and um, I think that won't do the deal because it it takes so much more and Matthew already addressed that we need to include the consumer because circularity absolutely does not end at the point of, of sale or at the point of handing over the physical product to the consumer, but we need to much more integrate the customer journey, the use phase into the complete perspective of the full product. So the product um, so far, also in classic economic and classic business administration, you source some material, you manufacture the product, and then you sold it and then you're done. There is no perspective in classic economic theory that you would continue um, to, to guide your products uh, use space and this is the huge turning point that we need to address and this is also one of the biggest challenges when it comes to transformation and I believe that it's not just uh, something that we need to do because it's a huge benefit for the environment no doubt I also believe that it's a great business opportunity because you can you strengthen your, your customer relationship. You um, might be rewarded as a company to produce long-lasting products. Uh, you might offer services. You might have uh, refurbishment option, reusing, uh, whatever, and eventually uh, you might recycle the, the inane material. But clearly, we need to take the turning point and include the customer, the use phase into our perspective of product selling. No, absolutely. It's not one or the other, right? Um, they're very important. Matt, did I, say, did I sense some doubt when you were talking about the CO2 emission? Like, do you think that that value might potentially not be important or understood or might create confusion at consumers? Or did I uh, no, I think I think it's just like one part of the story because you cannot like I think it's not enough or it's you cannot expect from every stakeholder in the value chain and this then includes the consumer to understand what is CO two emissions yeah. because it has to be we've seen it in the electronics industry that there was not even if you have like the electronic uh, the, the um, power consumption value in kilowatts per hour this that's not something that the cons you can expect to from the consumer to understand so you have this like abcde energy rating or something like this and here i think this is where where it starts and this is where it's going to take also you know, there is, will, will require responsibility from the manufacturers, but also collaboration on, you know, with policymakers probably and, uh, and uh, regulatory bodies or standardization bodies to find a system that, that works. Because I don't know, um, 
if you're aware that the uh, product environmental footprint, which was being discussed at the EU level as a measure to, uh, yeah, for for uh, proving green claims, is is being now you know, controversially discussed whether this is something that <laughs> will really lead to to the re- expected results. So that's why I was curious, like you know, what what are the next steps? And and I think uh, this is this is one of the big challenges as well when driving the sustainability and circularity. Uh, implementation is to bring in also probably into the development the consumers and and the voice and and, and, and the knowledge from the consumers in order to to really also find the right ways to communicate mm-hmm. especially in, you know consumer i mean I, I have a slightly different view on that i think i i do agree to today if you would put a carbon uh, co2 like equivalent number on any given product I, I can bet like 99% of mm. all consumers will not be able to say if that's high or low or like there's, there's nothing that they can do with it. But I think the way I compare it and if Verena touched upon it, like labeling started with food. Uh, I don't know what, what type of labeling is particularly meant, Verena, but um, what I think of, of food labeling in, in, in nutrition, like nutrition wise, like calories, for example. Mm. The, the reason why most consumers know if 100 calories is a lot or not that much is not because we were all born with this knowledge. It's because it's standardized and we have been working with this for decades now, right? So we know 100 calories is not that much. But if you would ask a similar consumer just as ourselves 50 years ago, what is 100 calories? Nobody will say, like, what is a calorie? I have no idea what you're talking about, right? So this is the same thing. So 100 carbon equivalents, uh, CO2 equivalents doesn't mean anything today. But because we can standardize it, we can start comparing and educating consumers, right? I think it's that um, we can't expect consumers to know because we haven't talking been talking the same language towards them. Everybody's saying this, something different right now. Of course, they're confused. Yeah. Touching upon the collaboration, because we just we just shortly mentioned it. Um, I mean, you have very complex products, obviously. You are a global market. Um, you have uh, challenges on maybe also different cultural backgrounds, which affects the consumer education and consumer behavior, but also, you know, supply chains. Um, and now you say you, you want to close the loop and you want to become circular. So we, we said already at the beginning when, uh, when uh, off, off, uh, off the mic, we said that the collaboration part is crucial for this, of course. Um, what are your like main stakeholder groups that you collaborate with now? And where do you think... Uh, you will have to strengthen and and build up more collaborations in in order to drive the sustainability. So our collaboration, I mean, goes from, we're starting from collaboration with universities, for example, where we really have on a scientific basis students um, uh, investigating for us uh, what opportunities there are, working out holistic uh, business model systems. So that's the one aspect. The second one, of course, is certainly recycling companies. 
and um, also then uh, turning, moving on towards logistic companies. And um, for us, as you said, Matt, we have lots of complex products. So each SBU has a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of different products with uh, sometimes even different materials within it is each SBU. And then we have a high variation, high differentiation of the materials used across the SBUs. So there is no one-size-fits-all solution. So we don't have, you know, two recyclers that work for all of our products we're done, but we need to build up that network step-by-step. Step. And this is um, this is the collaboration, the type of collaboration that we're looking into. Also startups, um, like, you know, on the one hand, maybe uh, companies who, need, who offer us um, some recycled material, possibly, that might be used again, but also um, then in the aspect of, okay, digital services, how can we um, make use of digital solutions? Um, how can we, yeah, how can we use them to follow our products, you know, to um, monitor the usage phase, um, maybe get them back again, not even selling them, but I don't know, renting them out. So you just, we're now really in this brainstorming phase and we're trying to build up our kind of network ecosystem um, and uh, we're also looking into um, solutions how we can actually make uh, circularity measurable just as we do with the CO2 product footprint you know it's always like it's not the perfect value but we do the same for circularity so we're looking into uh, trying to find kind, kind of KPIs for circularity that we can also support our product managers with and let them know what materials um, can be used for, for circular product uh, design and um, also maybe what startups have what new solutions um, yeah so that's you know I, I can't now give an example of a perfect collaboration for circularity it's rather really the scouting and building up of different ecosystems for the specific purposes of our different product requirements. I think, yeah, ecosystem, you, you name it. I think it's about creating also these ecosystems now, not not only within the, 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 the own organization, but also I think within all the stakeholders in the value yeah. chain. And, and for this, and for this, obviously, we need some standards. We need, you know, some metrics. We need to be able to communicate. We need MESPA with circularized to also <laughs> trust the information that is being transported. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that, that's, that's changing now. And maybe one small add-up to this is uh, sometimes we might even be our own uh, stakeholders, our own ecosystem, because we might have uh, some materials which are waste for one SPU that can be used for another one. So, you know, because we have this uh, complexity or this, this high variety of materials, which is sometimes a big challenge, it's also opportunity because we have our own supplies. In some yeah, in a circular economy, there's no waste, right? So yeah, exactly. your your waste is someone else's input, yeah, right? Exactly. Change perspective, and all of a sudden, waste is material. Material yep. is value. So, uh, with your experience in textiles, did you? back then or maybe even now see any kind of good traceability efforts where you think that's also now from a brand owner perspective uh, is something you can work with like standards or uh, you know regulation or, or some some sort of a framework that you're working with that you think uh, 
is good for like tra- making the translation and talking about it because it's all about communicating that to the consumer and making sure the value is captured at the end. Um, do you have any any experience with that type of like transparency or tra- chain of custody or uh, that type of standards that you work with and, and that you like in particular? Mm-hmm. Um, so the very well-established standards, certainly, if I if I may name them here, uh, um, GOTS and EVN Best because they have been doing this when it was not yet a fashion at all. You know, it was like they, it's, it's, I know some people who are in the board and um, they are really driving um, uh, a real sustainable, transparent, social uh, textile world. And these standards have high demands. They take care of the chain of custody. So I think that's a absolute critical aspect when you look in, into um, standards for textiles that you uh, don't just evaluate the material, but that they always go through the whole uh, textile chain. You mentioned it, Mispa, the chain of custody aspect that really every partner is certified in the industry. Um, EV and Best asks for a 100% uh, KBT or KBA uh, wool or cotton. That means that it's only very high standards for organic cotton or for controlled uh, biologische Tierhaltung, it's a German abbreviation in, when it comes to wool or other animal fibers. And um, GOTS then, which is the more commonly known, probably has asked for 70% of uh, yeah, KBA or KBT fibers with some more natural fibers to be added. So um, these are the two standards which are really, really good and what's uh, also going on in the industry, but this is not yet like a real standard, but it is much more... Um, like some startups that are doing similar things that we have been doing with Know Your Stuff, um, namely to make the textile supply chain transparent. Uh, I actually don't really work the team supply chain because it always sounds very strict and very linear. I'd rather go for um, supply network, supply web. Um, but that's just a side remark. And yeah, so uh, lots of lots of things are happening on the digital startup uh platform side that will definitely bring yeah we always used the metaphor of unpacked black box of textile industry got it and do you think these these digital innovations and startups will replace the likes of geo2s or complement the those i assume that they're going to complement it because the standards are so well established yeah flu sign for example also we talked now a, a bit already, or actually almost uh, in every question, we had a reversed, we reverted to the materials, right? Um, so now from your perspective, <laughs> and also working maybe with, uh, yeah, not only polymers, but also in the, in, in the field of innovation, looking also at alternatives to polymers, but also, you know, the natural fibers and the mixed uh, fibers that you mentioned before. Um, what kind of sustainable material innovations do you have you seen recently that uh, are very much contributing to driving the circularity mm-hmm. or or maybe even like not not doesn't have to be something super new but maybe it's just simply like mm-hmm. you know recycled materials uh, versus bio-based materials like what is your take on this mm-hmm. um so firstly, I believe that's maybe something that we should reconsider. That's not so much in fashion and not immediately comes to mind when you think of sustainable plastics is to use uh, or to, um, yeah, to uh, 
whatever to use um, <laughs> um, high quality plastics that is designed for long-lasting purposes. Um, that's something we've been doing at UBIX for a very long time, but this is something that's a bit underestimated when it comes to circularity. So it doesn't have to be the absolute mega new innovation, but it's also, it is absolutely critical to use products as long as you can because um, whatever you avoid to produce newly is the best thing you can do in terms of sustainability. So that's the one thing. Then we have had uh, some very interesting information about uh, chemicals recycling processing so um, not just startups but also, also larger corporates seem to make really good steps here um, because this is um, also to be frank here the biggest uh, challenge that we face when it comes to mechanical recycling it sometimes doesn't meet our technical values and then we just can't guarantee the safety the absolute purpose of our products and therefore it's um, you know that's that's just not uh, negotiable so we need to have um the certain standards. Chemical recycling is very promising. And um, what I um, had a, a meeting about last week was actually a company, a startup company from Sweden. And they've uh, made something very, very nice. They are using wood um, and um, combine it with virgin plastics with compounds um, about I don't know 30 to 40 percent of wood and then um, they add it on with virgin plastics and then they create a complete new plastic compound out of it with a 30 per 40 percent natural basis and I think these stories are quite nice you know because it's not the absolute um, turnaround solution but it's the little steps and if we enrich um, our fossil based materials by 30% uh, natural materials then this may be very very helpful because it achieves the um, quality values that we need for long lasting products and contributes to um, bringing down our CO2 product footprint but also um, of course when you think of the biological cycle um, wood can be composted again and so on and uh, therefore create uh, circular products. So speaking of uh, like making these small steps as well as um, bio-based plastics what do you think of uh, mass balancing? Is that something that is helpful for you or is that something that um, you know it's confusing to the consumer there's some controversy around that as well any takes from your side mm -hmm. uh, he, he just asked this question because he knows that it's also confusing for me i see okay. i'm a pro mass balance person <laughs> I need to. finally finally someone will explain it to me <laughs> And um, I think, uh, God, now I'm under pressure to explain that. <laughs> and <laughs> well, well, we had we had a real experts so far. No one could explain it to me. Like it, it might be either either that it's just you know me being really really stupid, or it's maybe such a complicated thing. And I talked with John, and and he said, you know, mass balancing. It's easy, but it's complex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the principle is quite easy. I mean, you use some things, then you mix it with others, and you don't, you know, physically you can't uh, prove anymore what particles are yeah. um, the green particles. We call them like the because we had this discussion internally, and uh, you know, Uvex is a company that doesn't just take okay, that's a nice brochure, let's 
take it on the contrary so everybody which is a good thing but sometimes it's challenging um, people really <laughs> dig deep and ask questions into depth until they really deeply understand it and um yes we absolutely um i absolutely agree with mass balancing um going hand in hand with that we um, explain it to our customers. So uh, we explain the mass balancing approach and I can send a paragraph to you later on, Matt. <laughs> Maybe it's helpful. And um, it is an absolute, It's for me, it's a bridge technology. Why not? It does reduce CO2. It does boost bio-based um, materials. And um, it still helps us to achieve our quality standards that we need. So, um Maybe I'm like, maybe we should not always think in perfect solutions or we don't do it. It's also sometimes a kind of German thing. <laughs> and if I say that, and, um, and think of, yeah, those blending solutions, those, those bridge technologies, that little steps that take us on our way. Yeah, we always said, because we had uh, already a couple of, or actually many innovators from the bioplastics um, sector. And there is always this discussion like, you know, bioplastics, they just make 1% of the total plastic demand and they make it since 20 years. So why don't you just stop it? <laughs> and I think here it's, it comes to the same what you just said, that I think we're now trying to replace technologies that have been established and, and made, you know, if in terms of efficiency, cost have been made perfect over the last hundred years. And now we're trying to find the silver bullet within just like, you know, uh, yeah, in the next five years, we're going to replace these technologies at the same cost. We're going to have the supply chains and we're going to have enough materials to, to uh, find a much more sustainable solution. And I think, I mean, we're here competing with technologies that are a hundred years to optimize, right? So I, I definitely agree that this is something that uh, as a, uh, as also John always says, don't make perfect the the ev uh, the the evil of uh, of good, right? Mm -hmm. The enemy of good. That's that's why. Yeah, I no, I fully agree, and that's why I always bring up this aspect of communication because it's so mm -hmm. critical to take the consumer um, and and really share the insights, to be transparent about what you do, and to be brave enough also to commit and tell the truth and say, no, we are not 100% sustainable and we are not 100% circular. Yeah, but yeah. we're on our very first steps. But we, we take mm -hmm. you and we try to be transparent and we are very ambitious and very eager to um, yeah, to achieve those goals. And um, it's better than not doing anything. Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yet I still have to find somebody who can explain mass balancing to a five-year-old in, 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 in one sentence. That's, that, I think that specifically is one of the biggest challenges of becoming sustainable. <laughs> If we can find the solution to that problem, how do you explain it in a convincing, easy way without creating confusion? Because the, the, the moment people understand it for the first time, like you can get two reactions. Like either they're like, okay, I'm confused, or they're like, so you've been cheating me. <laughs> you've been yeah, lying to me. <laughs> and this is what you want to prevent, right? I'm just thinking of some examples, some comparison with sand, probably. Like if you blend two types of sand from two different beaches, 
and you mix it and you give it away and you cannot guarantee that there's a certain share of the free speech in it. Would that make sense? Mm. No, I can use you. <laughs> Let's say it's late. This <laughs> <laughs> would be a good, a good um, advertisement, actually. So anyone who is listening and who, who is uh, able to explain mass balancing within, let's say, maximum two sentences or maybe three, but for a level of a five-year-old, they have, they have to write to us and there will be, we make a t-shirt or something. Yeah, the, the winner will be invited to the podcast and we can have oh, an yeah, episode yeah, with them where <laughs> they, they can actually explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Be yeah, um, I'm just uh, looking at the time. So um, we've covered already a lot of topics and I think, uh, Verena, it's so much fun with you and probably we should plan already another episode um, after we all know what MS balancing means, and then we're going to go dive deeper into uh, more more sophisticated topics, even. Um, but we have always one last question that we we always ask our guests, and this is uh, one of the most important questions. I mm -hmm. hope you like music um, because we have a plastic climate future playlist, and uh, we're asking our guests always to provide one song that uh, connects either to the podcast or to them, them uh, the, the person themselves mm -hmm. or uh, which is simply a good song. Mm -hmm. Do you have something for us? Uh, <laughs> now with your questions about mass balance, I was actually thinking about Under Pressure from Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play something else in German. And, um... <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's fine. Under Pressure from Queen is good. <laughs> I connect And I was thinking of a song that's kind of connected to plastics in a good way. Uh, it's not so easy, like, because there are not too many songs about plastics. So I would go for uh, 19 and Red Balloons from Nina or Neun und Neun. Okay, that's a, that's a good one. I don't know how I made it before, but there was like, yeah. have you seen the balloons yeah. coming up there? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot. I think uh, it's, it's it's super interesting, and and especially to have like these insights that how you connect, you know, your personal passion for sustainability, and then really do put it into real projects with with impact. Um, and um, I think what's what's super interesting is, is also that the fact that you know Uvex is so much driven by by understanding and, and creating this impact um, yeah and as I mentioned like uh, we would be happy to have you on another episode maybe in a couple of months and uh, see how this developed further and what kind of innovations uh, we can talk about then definitely yes cool, cool. Great. thanks a lot sounds good well pleasure uh, pleasure meeting you Marina. <laughs> <laughs>